Out of respect for our audience, we would like to issue a trigger warning before this episode begins. We are going to be discussing sensitive topics in the following conversation, and we value the choices of all our listeners, old and new, to avoid this conversation out of concerns for their comfort, safety, and emotional well-being. That said, we are recording this because the following content deserves some form of consideration and thought, and we encourage listeners to grapple with these ideas and challenge their preconceived notions. Stride and Saunter, episode 41. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And on this episode, we are recording part two of our pair of episodes on life and death. Of course, this episode is therefore going to be about death, and so we're going to have a lot of conversations about the topic and various contributions that have been made by friends of ours who were kind enough to write in and share some of their thoughts. But before we share some of their contributions, I'd like to share with both Caroline and others listening why these two episodes mean a lot to me. I have always been a very abnormal person. I've thought abnormal things. I've behaved in abnormal ways. And I think that in that, I've noticed a lot of normal behavior and how the majority of people tend to act. And I think that there are certain things, abnormal or not, that deserve discussion. Things that unite people, things that separate people. And so a lot of those topics have typically interested me. And when Caroline and I started recording together, she asked me certain questions about what topics we could record or what things I would like to record in the future. And I started thinking about things that I'd really, really enjoy, but I guess I hadn't been daring enough to try earlier in the podcast's initial phases. And so I thought about life and death and how they surround us and are in many ways important. And of course, encapsulate every living thing and everything that's really happened in some way or another has been affected by these two large forces, larger than conception, perhaps. And so I wanted to discuss it. That said, one of the reasons I sought out submissions from other people is that I knew Caroline and I couldn't do this alone. And frankly, even if we could, it wouldn't be as reflective of how many different opinions exist. And I think that's one thing I would like all listeners to remember, and I hope Caroline, you and I try to remember this as well, that we will have unpopular opinions, we will disagree with other people, but at the end of the day, to me, what's really important is that we disagree, that we find reasons to differentiate ourselves in conversations and respect the differences of others, but at the same time, consider them and consider why we have our own biases and opinions and try and have some form of dialogue. This is what we're, of course, going to try and encapsulate in this episode. That said, I think we'd both be eager and willing to record future episodes on this topic or related topics because, of course, as I've said, life and death are huge and there's no way we would ever be able to fully describe the two of them in two simple podcast episodes, but the idea is that I want to spark some kind of a conversation or, at best, the thoughts of individual listeners, even if they don't want to share those with others. So to be completely candid with our listeners, I solicited some of the contributions from friends of mine and associates and colleagues, but I sent them to Caroline as anonymous Word documents. I just numbered them one through, let's say, 16, so she didn't read them as named documents and we will be sharing some of those details. But Caroline did not actually know the people behind these 
contributions. And so I'd be very curious, Caroline, because you don't have the bias that I did, what were some of the things that stuck out to you? Or were there any contributions that were particularly prominent in your mind? Well, what I found interesting is the amount that I actually did have in common or could connect to what people were saying. I mean, it brought me back to a lot of my first memories of death and kind of what it meant to me as a child. I feel like a lot of people go through a time when they're little and they kind of realize even just overnight that death is something that happens that it's inevitable and um, for me this called upon a memory of when I was nine or ten and we'd just gotten our dog Lily who is still living to this day but she's much older and I loved her so much I remember I think I realized I did some math as nine-year-olds do and I realized that based on the average amount of time that a golden retriever lives she would die while I was in college and so I remember finding this out or figuring it out and going to my parents in the middle of the night like crying sobbing saying that I didn't want to go to college because I wanted to be around when my dog died she's still alive so that's that's good for me but I guess that realization of death at such a young age and I I feel like a lot of people go through that when they're nine or ten and when they're like old enough to figure out that there's more to life than just the sandbox and I don't know I it stuck out to me and I hadn't thought of that in a long time and a lot of that was due to some of these submissions I think my first memory of death was brought about by one submission that talked about how he had a dream when he was eight I think and for me, that's my also my first memory of death. I, there's one dream that I remember from when I was really, really little of my mom's funeral, and I remember it perfectly. Like they were carrying her coffin down the street, and people were like holding roses. And then, as dreams work, you know, kind of stream of consciousness. Like then, I just kind of jumped to the cemetery, and she was there, and she was talking to me, and she gave me a rose, and I forget what she said to me, you know, but that's stuck out to me for more than 10 years. I've had that memory. So why don't, if you want to share that. Absolutely. So the following is a reading from that contribution to which Caroline was referring. You know, it's funny. Today, my dad asked me my opinion of death. I said, I am pro. He responded with, but only in the long term, right? I mean, I'm definitely pro-death as well, but short term can be troubling. Now, apart from lame jokes I share with my father, I genuinely am fascinated by death and believe if there is ever a good time to write about it, it should be the day my dad decides to bring it up. I am eight years old. I'm sitting at the table eating breakfast, and I notice my father is missing. He isn't in his study. His chair is empty, and he's not sleeping. I check outside only to find him sitting under an evergreen. Everything about him is normal apart from his hair. It isn't the light brown peppered with gray that I'm so used to. It's pure white. Even his eyebrows are pure white. I know he is dead. I firmly believe it, and I can't stop myself from sobbing. He waves. I run under the evergreen to comfort him, and he tells me, It's okay. I love you. I'll always be with you. But I have to go. That dream is my first memory of death. Now, I forget what happened next. I can't tell you if in real life my father, or mother for that matter, had some life-altering advice. The dream is just so ingrained in my memory that if I ever think of dying, it always pops up first. So in my mind, I'm thinking white hair, under the tree, crying, Next, I think, well, what about before I was ever born? There was a lot of stuff that happened before me, like chocolate. Someone invented chocolate way before I ever thought dessert was a necessity. I'm content with that. I wasn't a person or living thing, as far as I can tell. I had no conscious thoughts, no desires, friends, families, responsibilities, loves, hates, 
nothing. But I am at peace with that. I can let it roll off my shoulders because it was out of my control, and furthermore, it wasn't particularly painful. I didn't suffer. Maybe death could be like that. You just let go. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is. Or maybe, the big maybe, is that it is something far different. That once you live a life, death is not the same as the time spent before birth. Religion seems to have a lot of answers for this. I don't believe in any of them. I don't see how something that has only grown and existed while alive can observe, predict, and argue what happens when it is dead. I also listen to a lot of George Carlin. No, if death is truly different than pre-birth, that has got to be the best surprise of all. I find it unbelievably exciting. Sure, you could die. It could be like all that time before you were born, and that's fine. You have already done that. You know what that is like. Cool. Or something new happens and the game changes. Maybe physics are completely wacky. Maybe you share a mind with a zebra. Anything is possible, and to me, that is wonderful. I'm a glass full kind of guy. I really liked that one. I agree. That was a very special submission, as were the others. And I think one of my favorite aspects about it is that it addresses how death could be like time before birth. And we never think about it because it's past, but none of us knows what we were, if anything, before but we it's, were born. But it's also like, you know, we could just let go. What if it's not this heavy subject that we all, like, anything's possible, you know? I, I really appreciate that aspect of it that's lighter in some ways, where... Death is a part of life. You live and then you die. And it doesn't have to be this monumental... I mean, it is... I think it, it is to everyone. And in, in everyone you know when you die, I feel like it is this monumental thing. But for you yourself, maybe it is you just let go, you know? Right. And to me, one of the interesting things about how prominently I think we all fear death, or at least culturally I think we've begun to fear death, is that it implies that life is this amazing thing. Which, don't get me wrong, it definitely can be. For those who doubt my opinions, I would urge you to listen to the earlier episode on life. But I think at the same time, we live in a day and age where people seem less and less enthused about life, or at least outwardly. And I think that last part is important because I can't observe what everyone's feeling. Maybe they feel ecstatic to be alive every day. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they project this carpe diem, and inside it's like, this is really hard and not that great all the time. Exactly. And... I reflect in the previous episode that I talk about how life is a struggle, and I think in many ways it is. If you stop eating food and stop doing necessary things to keep yourself alive, you will die. It's as simple as that, because death in many ways, as many of the contributions say, and I agree, it's omnipresent. It's everywhere. The beautiful thing about life is that we resist death for so long. Some of us live up to a century, maybe even longer than that, and don't die. That's really important. But I also think fearing death should imply that life is amazing and if you do truly fear death it should be because you have so much to live for and so many experiences to have and i think it does get to the root of carpe diem that if you're really afraid of death live your life take risks explore things explore yourself challenge yourself and i think that speaks to another submission that talks about eulogies and i think she is in a class here at kenyon with royal roads called meanings of death and she says, the process of completing this assignment has brought me to the idea of trying to live your own eulogy. Now, this may sound a bit morbid and weird, but hear me out. For argument's sake, let's assume that your eulogy highlights every admirable quality you want to be remembered, that it cultivates a legacy based on the person you've always wanted to be. Wouldn't you want to live that way every day? My answer is yes. So why wait to be remembered that way instead of living your life the way that you want to be remembered? With this idea of living your eulogy, I'm inviting you to consider engaging in a difficult act of mindful self-reflection. 
to actively navigate the gap between how you act and how you want to be remembered, and then to work towards closing that gap by governing your life based on the ideals you think are important. Wouldn't that give meaning to our daily existence? And she goes into this earlier in her submission about how it's a little self-indulgent. Don't you ever think about how you want to be remembered, how people think of you? Of course we do. I mean, all of us do that. If we are somewhat self-aware, I think we try to do that. And I think it's a huge part of taking life as it is and then letting death happen after it. And it's not just about the legacy that you leave behind, but having that legacy all the way up till when you do die. I agree. I think the legacy is really important and I think it speaks to the idea that many of our contributors wrote about in that you have to live your life in tandem with death in a lot of ways. That You can't simply live without acknowledging your death. You have to consider these things. And I think it's important. A lot of people such as that contributor mention terms like morbid and morose and sad. But I think that's a lot about the cultural expectations of what death is. And of course, Because it's this mystery, cultures around the globe have various millions of different answers as to what it is and why it's scary, why it's ominous. I would urge people to consider, and this might sound a bit peculiar at first, the crimes that our societies agree are criminal acts. For example, stealing or theft. You're taking someone's possession, I think, therefore, we presume that possessions are important because taking someone's possessions is seen as criminal. Similarly, we would all agree that murder is this terrible thing, and I think that's because we presume that death is a horrible thing. Don't get me wrong. Or that life is valued. Exactly, and I think that's totally true, but I also think there's a lot of cultural implicit ideas within that that should be impacted or should at least be considered. And I think, to me, one of the terrifying and upsetting things about murder is not death, but a life is over, but the act of dying being in tremendous pain or in tremendous fear and shock in moments before your death, you're not in control of your death as no one really is ultimately, but that someone else has power over your life in those final moments. And I agree that it is a crime, but I would urge people to think about why and what that says about us as creatures and us as a society that we consider the taking of another life, which I know I'm trivializing in that sentence, but if you look at it very, very logically and almost detach emotion, which is difficult to do, what it says about us. And I agree that it's an uncomfortable thing to feel or think about, but I think we should think about the structures within which we live. I think it also has to do with a fear of separation. Absolutely. And I think that speaks a lot to religion and why a lot of religions do believe in salvation, being saved, because if you're being separated from people you love, you have to hope that you may rejoin them at some point. Or not have to, but that's a comforting thought. Absolutely. And I think people often issue comforting statements when someone is dead. You know, they're in a better place now, or they're better off this way. They're no longer in pain. And I think that last one is valid, that a lot of us in the final years, months, or even weeks of our lives are in a lot of pain. So our bodies are shutting down or succumbing to difficult diseases. And again, I don't mean to trivialize that, but it is a fact of life. Frankly, living is hard, as we've said countless times now. And I find it really interesting whenever you report a death to someone or you're sad and someone asks why and you say, so-and-so in my family died or I lost my dog. People automatically presume that that's a negative thing, which I think is fair. But as an anecdote, my 13-year-old dog passed away recently. Her name was Abby. and She was a wonderful creature. She was put down because of medical complications. And while I don't think that it's easy to lose a dog, in my mind, I've been relatively at peace with it because I think She lived a wonderful life. She lived longer than many dogs of her breed and similar characteristics would live. 
She was very healthy in many ways. And I'd like to believe that she was very happy. And frankly, I think death to me is the conclusion of a story. That at the end of the day, I believe our lives are all individual, but also intertwined narratives. And a death means that it's a conclusion, at least in some ways, to that narrative. And I think taking a book, for example, you can't understand a text or a narrative until it is complete. And to me, that's a lot of what death represents is that it gives closure to something. And although I might not be able to fully understand my life because I won't be there after I'm dead, others might be able to fully understand who I was after I've passed because that story, that narrative is finally a unit. It's a solid object. It had a clear beginning and a definitely clear end once I'm dead. And again, I know that's morbid to some people, but I think it's worth considering. And I think that speaks to some of what that first submission that we read closed with. He said, So live the long run, enjoy life as it lasts, but when death is approaching, celebrate it. If possible, I want a huge party right before I die, one final celebration before what could be the next big thing. And I think that's a beautiful way to look at life and death, and I don't think everyone thinks like that. Kind of going back to this idea of salvation and religion, I mean, one submission talked about being Catholic and in fact, in the Catholic Church, doubt is sinful. You can't doubt your faith, your salvation. And I think that creates a lot of issues because for some, if you're totally, totally devoutly Catholic and you have absolutely no doubts, then yeah, I think that makes you even more devout. But if you do have doubts and it's considered sinful, then it festers. I think it makes doubt persist in a lot of ways about like what happens next. And it's I think it cultivates fear rather than a celebration at the end of life. It is definitely very tricky, and I'd like to read from that submission now. He begins when I prompted him to talk about life and death. It is very difficult for me to write about these two subjects without acknowledging my faith. I have benefited immensely from an upbringing in the church, and while I will be the first to admit that I am far too often wayward and sinful in practicing Jesus' teachings, I proudly identify as a Christian. As such, my personal beliefs on matters of life and death are inextricably linked to my faith. I'll start with this simple yet powerful fact. Life is a gift. It is precious. We strive to preserve and enjoy it and work within it to achieve purpose and direction. However, life is generally unpleasant and difficult. We must remember that the vast majority of us, if not all, enter and leave this world in pain. Suffering in many ways defines human life. After birth, we learn by making mistakes and watching others fail. We share fleeting moments of happiness, create new life, and engage in the unavoidable decline of health until death. I often hear the phrase, death is part of life. I think this is true. We must encounter and learn to cope with loss because it surrounds us. However, I also believe that life and death are two very separate states, and the tendency to soften the latter for the ease of the former is nothing but unhealthy ignorance. Those who try to escape the reality and mystery of death inevitably will only meet it in harsher climes. The truth is, though, that we will never fully comprehend death while living. I am no closer to understanding mortality than I am to achieving nuclear fission, yet I have no choice but to confront and imagine what happens upon the final heartbeat, because it is my fate. It is also yours. As my father once said, death is the great leveler. No matter our predicament, old or young, ugly or beautiful, dim or smart, foolish or clever, poor or rich, we must come to terms with death, because no one can flee its clutches forever. To me, that idea is really powerful and really important, and as much as we can hate death and fear it, Maybe it's because we are afraid on some level of being equated with everyone else in the world, saying that there's no way I'm as bad as this person, or there's no way I could live up to the accomplishments and achievements of this person and say that they're above us. But at the end of the day, we do all die, and in that, we are all equal. And I think as much as we fear death, that's a really beautiful idea. I think so, too. I mean, we 
all have this life that we've been given. It's a gift, as he says. And at the same time, it can be gone in an instant. We can be hit by a bus tomorrow in an hour. Like, right, we could walk out of this recording session and something could happen. You know, it's the finite quality of life makes life more powerful, more significant than anything else. Completely. So the next two submissions we're going to read are a bit shorter, but I think they're very powerful and very important in what they don't say. I think they are very articulate because often reading between the lines is essential to getting meaning out of something. So Caroline, if you would read yours first. Turns out I don't really have much to definitely say about death, but we all know that death will affect us both peripherally and head on, but who among us can say that we are prepared to process the death of our relations? The readings and discussions during our meetings of death class fostered a broader contemplation of how different people process death. Different traditions and experiences of death exposed us to new ways of thinking about life. I guess conversation about death is often accompanied by discussion of how to live life. But how does that help us process death itself? When I think about death, I think about the inexplicable absence that people leave behind when they die. They leave family and friends, acquaintances and strangers. The absence left behind creates a cavern in and among these people, a cavern for the echoes of life, the death resound. I don't have much to say about death, except that maybe we should listen to these echoes that those who die leave. And another reading from a separate contributor. Writing about death is a strange thing. Every time I've tried to do it, I put pressure on myself to uncover something incredibly profound or to understand why people deal with death in the ways we do and what that means about life, or something. So I'm just going to say whatever comes to mind, regardless of how weighty it might end up being. Recently, I've been thinking about how many of the deaths that I hear about are completely removed from my actual life. I learn about all these tragedies, like the recent explosion in Manhattan, the plane crash in the Alps, the shooting in Kenya, on the internet. Often the first place I hear about them is on my Facebook trending feed, which is particularly bizarre when it's next to some other benign, or even a ridiculous piece of information. Then there's the barrage of Facebook statuses, blog posts, and news articles that I see, all focused on that particular tragedy. The form of delivery must affect the way we process death. It often seems less real, sometimes even less sad. Sometimes I feel like I'm waiting for the gravity of it to actually hit me, and it doesn't always. Maybe that's because I don't always know the deceased person directly, but I think some part of it has to do with the way I've learned about it. I'm often just sitting at my computer, reading other people's thoughts on death, rather than sitting and thinking my own. And I think both of those submissions are incredibly valuable because although they were brief in comparison to others, they get at how difficult it is to talk about death. Others spoke at length, and frankly that betrays certain truths, that it is really hard to uncover what death is, how to talk about it, how to think about it. And that's another goal of this particular episode, that Caroline and I are not going to solve death, we're not going to answer it, <laughs> but we do want to talk about it. and discuss why we think about it in the way we do, how else we might think about it, and sort of push the boundaries of our thinking process. But I particularly enjoyed those because they get at how hard it is to talk about death. Maybe that's one of the things that's most terrifying, that we don't know how to talk about it. There are plenty of uncomfortable things in the world that we can discuss, but death eludes even the most expert minds. What do you think about that? I think that death is a subject that anyone can talk about and anyone should talk about what we don't because it kind of comes down to we don't know and oftentimes it is sensitive because you get into the field of religion in some ways and people have very specific and passionate opinions about death based on their belief system but at the same time I love talking about this because it brings to mind just 
what death means to me, where oftentimes people choose not to talk about death. And therefore, a lot of the ideas that I'm having now, like, for example, reading that first shorter submission made me think, I totally get that. I feel loss when I hear about someone dying. But when I think about me dying, sometimes I think about what I'm going to miss. I think about all these things that could occur in my lifetime. Like what if we find water on a planet? What if we meet alien life? You know, I always think about all these great things that could potentially happen in our lifetime. What if they don't happen? And what if I die and I don't get to experience those things? And then six generations down the road, they do get to experience those things. I'm kind of envious of that in a lot of ways. I think experience is actually a very interesting theme, which many of our contributors touched upon, such as the following. As humans, we tend not to like the unknown, especially when whatever death is appears to be a permanent condition. So we try our best to give ourselves an answer. But all we know is what we've lived. Therefore, our only way to define death is in terms of life. Death is an absence of life, whatever that means. It means we can't talk, we can't run, we can't breathe anymore. Our bodies decompose, that we know for sure. But we're sentient beings. What happens to our beloved minds, our energies, our emotions? That can't possibly all disappear when it's all we know. And she goes on to discuss the poem by Mary Fry, Do Not Stand By My Grave and Weep, which ends, Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. And this contributor really enjoyed that poem and found it very powerful and goes on to say, This world is so much more than us. Think of the universe, the galaxies, the cosmos, the sheer size of a single planet. I believe in evolution. Humans are no more than organisms that have developed on the Earth. It's amazing that we can perceive and comprehend as much as we can, and that our range of feeling extends so far. But there is so much we don't know. I think the best explanation for everything we can explain is that there must be something going on that our bodies simply can't detect. Intuition. Instinct. It's our link to that bigger thing. And when we die, I think our bodies die. And whatever spark of energy that burns in us in life gets thrown back into the universe. Death is a transference of energy. One would hope, right? <laughs> but who knows? That's the beautiful part of it in a lot of ways. Right. And I really like that idea of death as a transference of energy. And I think a lot of our speakers talked about spirituality and where the spirit of the soul goes. I know there's another contribution, Caroline, that you were going to read on that topic. When reflecting about death, I actually think about the ideas of both release and loss. Release is something I crave constantly, while loss is something that I fear most. As an actor, nearly everything I do in seeking to find my way towards creating my best work is funneled through finding release, physically, emotionally, psychologically. It's about allowing oneself to be totally present in making and creating, which can be both meticulous and completely devoid of thought. That's the curious secret to being a good actor, I think doing enough work to be able to completely let go and forget about it. Release is about freedom. As someone who has struggled with battling suicidal thoughts at times in my life, I'd always be looking for a release, a way to let go, to be free of the weight of my own mind. I think in different ways, many people constantly seek to do the same thing, to find a release in various ways, healthy or otherwise. I see release as a letting go, almost as if it is a channeling of something else, allowing something, nature maybe, something else, to move through. I'm a spiritual person, so I see release as a release of the soul. I'm constantly figuring out my own beliefs, but I suppose in the most basic terms, I believe in God, and I believe in the divinity of the soul. I also believe that the work we do in this life should be about growing and moving our own souls. The whole what is a soul question is an entirely different one. An interesting discussion, to be sure, but for me, it is enough that I believe in the existence of the soul and its continued existence beyond our death, whatever that may mean. 
I believe that the soul is what sustains us and our deepest emotions are what we experience when we touch our own soul. It's a topic that profoundly and continuously interests me. When I speak about loving someone deeply and thoroughly, I say that I love them with my whole soul. I don't believe that the strength of that is capable of dying. I think I hope that death is the release of the soul to love more freely, more openly, and more completely. I think because we all crave love more than anything, it is a sign that is how we feed the soul, with love. I hope that the release of the soul is a release to a greater place of love. I think my fears about death are really just an extension of my fears of life. I'm deeply afraid and resentful of loss. When I love someone, I tend to love them with my whole soul. So I fear loss because the people I love become a part of me and I don't want to lose someone who has become a part of me. I fear loss over death because death is natural and unexpected. We all know, whether we want to avoid the idea or not, that we will die someday. The loss of someone when someone leaves you in some way is devastating to me if I truly love them. We make others a part of us by being generous with our souls. The idea of losing someone I love is something that I want to avoid more than anything else. The stronger the love, the more profound the loss, and the soul will ache from it, possibly never to recover. It will learn to reimagine itself and carry on and grow and be happy, but love leaves an impact. I think a permanent impact. I'm afraid of losing that. And I think I agree with that in a lot of ways. I struggle with loss, I think, a lot more than death. And that might be because I'm young. And while I have experienced the death of certain people in my life, certain loved ones, it's never been a very, very close friend, a very, very close relative. But I have lost some really close friends who, because of time, because of circumstance, I am no longer friends with them. They are no longer in my life. That's not to say, and I think that's a beautiful thing about life, you know, they may come back into my life, but I think losing someone I truly and really care about is something I really fear. And so I connect with that in a huge way. Understandably so. I also struggle with loss. It's a very difficult feeling. You feel alone in many ways. And I think, although not all of the contributions touched on this, that feeling of aloneness is maybe one of the most terrifying things because we do die alone, at least that passage into death, whatever it is is one we make alone. We're often afraid of that because we don't know what lies beyond it, and we'd like to think we have allies and support from others. But I also think a very important video, which I will attach to this episode, on Alan Watts and his idea of life as a dream is a really interesting concept to consider, that maybe life is a dream. We're going to wake up, and the period after life, whatever it is, is not horrible. Maybe it's really familiar. One contributor, of course, talked about sharing a mind with a zebra, but what if the experience after death is very similar to this, that we can walk around or in some way navigate the space in which we exist and communicate with others? It might be very, very similar. I it makes that's... me so curious. I yeah. just It's yeah. impossible to understand or to fathom entirely, but it's definitely a curious one to consider. Now, relating to the idea of loss, I'd like to read another submission about someone who had lost touch with a friend who later passed away. I've never been afraid of death. As I get older, it becomes more and more apparent that death is something that I'm going to be surrounded by for the rest of my life. It's not a new occurrence. I've lost grandmothers and hallmates, adults I looked up to, and those hit, and they hurt. But the hardest was a couple of months ago when my best friend from high school died of a heart attack. Our relationship had been strained. He battled with a lot of addictions and demons, but we had a falling out, as you can only fight with someone else for so long. When I got the phone call, it took me a while to realize that the conversations I had visualized us having the confrontations where I told him how he had hurt me, and how I wanted to tell him how sorry I was for hurting him by giving up on him, those would never happen. We weren't going to fix it. But that's what's interesting about death for me. Jay was so young, and so many opportunities he could have had were gone. 
His tiny, sinewy body that I like to imagine softening over time was now frozen. He would perpetually be his small, 22-year-old self. That's not what I thought initially, though. My first thought was, we were done. We would never resolve things, and I had messed up. I had missed my chance, and he was gone. I don't think about death in terms of myself dying. I think about other people being gone from my life, which is extremely selfish, but hopefully just very human. After losing Jay, the anxiety surrounding death has been focused on my mother. She's always been afraid of dying. We're lapsed Catholics, so even though the religiosity is not a part of our lives, the guilt remains. If there is a heaven, we're not following the rules the Catholics set down for a smooth admission, but my family has mixed opinions on what happens when you die. The speaker goes on to talk about her mother. This isn't the part that stresses my mother, though. She's afraid that when she dies, no one will come to her funeral. She's shy and introverted and, as a result, knows few people. She comes from a volatile family where at any given time at least one faction is icing out another. So there's a chance that when she dies, some group will be angry at someone for something and boycott her funeral as a result, even just to avoid someone who might attend. I've tried to comfort her about this. We talk about her funeral a lot, and we morbidly have made a lot of plans for it despite her young age. We'll borrow from multiple traditions, have a Catholic service, a huge party afterwards, and sit Shiva to tell stories about how ridiculous she was at times. These conversations comfort her. She loves to know that at least I will be there, and I am pushy enough that even the most reluctant of family members will be there too, if only to put bodies in seats. And it makes me happy that by discussing this frequently and in depth, she's comforted, but it leaves me terrified. My mother's death is the most terrifying because we will never lose touch. She will never stop being my best friend and my confidant and my mother. So when I lose her, it won't be like Jay who used to be a staple, who turned into a regret, and subsequently a tiny stone I'll carry around in my pocket, until I someday accept the sheer fact that someone great is gone, and adjust to the weight of the fact. But my mother will be a giant missing chunk, her stone will be the weight of an anvil, and I will almost certainly live long enough to see her die, and even though she will have lived a good and fulfilling life, I don't think the weight of it is something I will ever become accustomed to. So for me this gets at a really difficult aspect of life, which is that the death of others or the deaths of others, cause us to confront our own mortality. That we can't help but think about that dead being in front of us being us someday. And especially with family members and people that we look up to, it's terrifying in a lot of ways that we lose friends, we lose family, but oftentimes those people are so much stronger and in some ways quote-unquote better than we think ourselves to be, that we're scared, that we see how powerful and kind and compassionate, intelligent, etc. these people are, we look up to them, and death manages to take them too, and so we wonder what chance we have in the face of the great mystery that we've been discussing, how we could possibly come to terms with something like that. And it is terrifying. I haven't actually discussed much of my personal experiences with death, but in addition to losing my dog, I lost my grandmother on my mother's side, my grandfather on my father's side, and I don't think I ever cultivated the types of relationships with either of them to be terribly impacted. Maybe that makes me insensitive in some ways, maybe I could have been closer to them, but I recognize my feelings and I'm frankly okay with them because I think they exist for a reason. I do remember though, around sixth grade, considering my own mortality or death itself for the first time, and I don't remember what set it off, but I was petrified and absolutely terrified. I spent about a month crying myself to sleep because I couldn't come to grips with the fact that life was going to end not only for myself but for my parents and I think that lack of familiarity was the most alien thing I'd ever felt and I'd never really thought about it before which is bizarre because frankly death is everywhere it's another thing that I want to touch upon that if you looked outside right now wherever you are you could probably find dead bugs 
or remains of some creature in some shape or form. You find dead leaves on the ground, trees and other animals in many ways die consistently and all around us, but we don't acknowledge it or we don't process it in the same way because human death is different. Even the meals that we eat are carnivores. Or just more highly valued. Exactly, we're more highly valued, for sure. Domination. And I think that the things we eat are all dead or will be if you're eating something living. And that in many ways that poetically speaks to the aspect of death influencing life and supporting life in a lot of ways. And for me, death is important because we aren't meant to be immortal. I remember reading Tuck Everlasting and thinking about how much sense that made. These people who were immortal, to spoil this old book for some people, didn't really enjoy life anymore. They just sort of wandered around. I think they watched people they loved live and die because they outlived them. And I think that's the terrifying thing, that we're meant to be mortal because we aren't supposed to watch everything and everyone we know pass away before us, I think conclusion is necessary. I think dying so that other lives can enter the world is also necessary. What do you think about some of those ideas? Well, that piece really spoke to me because such is life where you have a friendship, it doesn't work out, you have a falling out, but nonetheless, that friendship is meaningful to you. And if that person dies, it's hard because you don't have that reconciliation that you would like to have. It's full of regret. And I think for me, it brings to mind how, or it reminds me how I want to live my life. And I guess we can put this on the episode, but it is from Thought Catalog, which I think is hilarious. But it's this one piece that has always kind of spoken to me. It was written over a year ago, and it's just titled, Tell the People You Love When You Love Them. Even though it's inevitable, you're going to have falling outs with friends and the people that you care about most will move on or pass on. It's important to make the most of your time with them or try to reconcile things while you still have time. And I think that really speaks to it. I know you want to share another submission. So this will be the last submission that we share. There were two others that we didn't get to articulate in this episode, but that we will include in links to the episode so that you can read them. And I highly encourage it. These were wonderfully written and frankly made this episode what it is and we will thank all the contributors at the end of the episode but this contribution talked about an art show that the individual worked on called dying and living together and he said the following i spent this past year working on an art project called dying and living together it's an attempt at what i'm calling collective storytelling i'm interested in what happens to people in art when storytelling is prioritized and when the ego-based artist is replaced by someone who spends more time thinking about other people than themselves. I say this because, inspired as I am by the way classes I've taken for my Spanish major have taught me about Latin American treatments of death, collective mourning and celebration, a readiness to talk about and process loss, and a greater general visibility of death as a constant and important part of life, I've decided to ask people I knew if they wanted me to help them tell their stories about death using art. And somewhat to my surprise, the response has been an absolutely resounding yes. This individual then held an open studio in which people were asked to come in and view some of the pieces and write down thoughts if they had any. And out of the 100 or so people who must have come through in the two-hour open studio, 60 of them wrote down something about death. Only a handful were broad and unspecific. The vast majority of them were detailed, long, and blisteringly honest. There was anger, which was surprising and has been the hardest kind of story for me to tell. There was sadness, deeper and vaster than expected. And there was joy and hope and fear. But what was most striking is how willing everyone is when you ask to tell them how death has affected them, even if they've never lost someone else. It makes sense. Death is in a strange way what we live every day. 
No matter how you spin it, every individual life gets absolutely no do-overs. Death is why life matters. When you ask somebody what their goals are, even if they believe in an afterlife, you could add, before I die, to the end of every single listed goal. And to me, a lot of that is important. I like what he said about people's willingness to talk about death, and I think it's one of the things I would encourage listeners to remember, that it's a hidden thing, it's a quiet thing, and it's often a silent thing. But death is not invisible to us, and we make it so occasionally, but it's still present. And I think people's willingness to discuss death with this individual and his art says a lot about how people think about it or have thought about it in the past, even if they're not currently doing so. And maybe they just don't know how to talk about it. Exactly. So I would encourage listeners, if you're willing, and I admit it takes some courage, see if you can have those conversations, however brief or however fragmented and awkward, because you might end up learning something about someone else or, as is equally valuable, something about yourself and how you value or view life and death. Maybe you haven't thought about that a lot before, and I think it's especially valuable is the thing we all share. Before we conclude the episode, though, Caroline, do you have any final thoughts or any questions that you want to discuss? Maybe just that last thing I said, tell the people you love that you love them. Our time is so limited here. Life is so wonderful, but tell the people you love that you love them. Be bold, take risks, respond to that text message and say, I want to see you. You make me feel good about myself. You are a good person because people appreciate that. Our time is limited. I completely agree. I think it's important to say those things, and I often find myself wondering if it's worth it when people respond with awkwardness or don't know how to talk about it, but that says something about how disconnected we've become from the concept of death, and maybe even from life, and if people roll their eyes at that statement, think about it. We have really become disconnected with it, I think. A lot of materialism culture and other things distract us from the fact that we will one day die. That's not pleasant in a lot of ways, but it is, in my opinion, a form of peace in many ways, and that death is that unifying thing, that great leveler, as one contributor said, that his father told him. And I think it's true and worth consideration. And if anything, if death isn't a real enough concept for you as if you are like us and you're college students and you're young and you don't foresee yourself dying for a really long time, your time here with the people around you is often limited and you should never take that for granted. So, first of all, we would like to thank those who contributed, including Rachel Cunningham, Ali Stamatoyu, Emma Munger, Brett Miller, Maureen Hoff, Sarah Miller, Kasai Alsatari, Atticus Koontz, Kay Kelly, Richard Para, and Tim Journey. And so, of course, we will include their submissions made anonymous on this episode's link. And like I said before, we encourage you all to check them out. They're very well done. Furthermore, we know this is a limited period of time and, of course, a limited number of submissions and opinions with which to discuss death. If you have things you'd like us to discuss, we would gladly do a second episode on this or more than that. So please feel free to reach out to us. As we've said before, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So we encourage you to contact us via Twitter at Stride and Saunter. Our Facebook is Stride and Saunter. You can email us at strideandsaunter at gmail.com, and we encourage you to visit our website, strideandsaunter.com. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.